It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 394 for May 25th, 2014. This week, Corel Graphics Suite X7 reminds me of all the great features I used to love, and it reveals some useful new functionality. Microsoft unveiled the Surface Pro 3 in New York this week, and now there's a tablet that has a chance to replace your notebook, and maybe even your desktop system. In short circuits, the head of the FBI says that cybercrime is an enormous challenge for law enforcement. Surprisingly, he did not announce that frozen water is cold. If you have an eBay account, change your password now. An experience with Carbonite's tech support shows just how good tech support can be when the company really tries to provide superior support. It's been more than a decade since I was an instructor at Rick Altman's Corel World. Rick has moved on and now runs programs for PowerPoint users. Adobe won the page markup battle with InDesign, even though it still doesn't do some of the things that Ventura Publisher did all the way back in 1990. And Adobe also pretty much won the photo editing battle with Lightroom and Photoshop. But Adobe's Illustrator is still playing second fiddle to Corel Draw. By way of background, let me say happy 25th birthday to Corel Draw. In 1989 or maybe 1990, I attended Folio Show at the Sheraton on 6th Avenue in Manhattan. I expected it to be the last stop before I asked the owner of the company I was working for at the time, as communications director, to allow me to purchase a Mac. But a visit to the trade show introduced me to a program that aimed to bring design capabilities to the PC. It was called Corel Draw. And because of it, Apple didn't sell me a computer for another 10 years. I haven't reviewed any Corel application since X4. That's not because I wanted to ignore what Corel has to offer, but because Corel's PR department stopped responding for several years. When I noticed that X7 had been released, I asked if I could take a look. And I could. What I found in version X7 is a Corel draw that's vastly different from what it was a decade ago, and a Corel draw that's exactly the same as it was a decade ago. In short, the things that needed to stay the same did, and the things that needed to change did. Corel has developed a monthly subscription plan along the lines of Adobe's Creative Cloud. It's priced at about half the cost of Creative Cloud, but Corel doesn't have video and comprehensive website development tools such as Adobe has, whether it's a good value or not depends on what you need. Corel Graphics Suite X7 includes Draw, Photo Paint, Power Trace, Connect, Capture, Website Creator, PhotoZoom Pro 3, and Concept Chair. I'm familiar with a lot of those applications from earlier versions, but Connect, Website Creator, PhotoZoom, and Concept Chair are new to me. This review will be primarily about Draw, but I'll take a look at some of the other components in future episodes. Draw has plenty of new features. You'll find a redesigned interface with fully customizable workspaces. This isn't a surprise, and it's not a surprise because Corel was far ahead of Microsoft when it came to customizing application interfaces all the way back in the 1990s. 
The new version provides considerably more control over fills and transparency, font previews are much better, and the suite continues to include Bitstream Font Navigator, now available as a 64-bit application. CorelDRAW isn't AutoCAD, but you'll find that it's an acceptable tool for layouts and drawings. About midway through the review process, I spoke with Gerhard Metralier, who is Corel's senior product manager for CorelDRAW, and I started by asking about the most significant changes in versions X5, X6, and X7. One of the big things, if we're looking back at X4, the three versions back, uh, we've had a complete redesign of our color management engine to, to provide you accuracy between the screen and what you print and make sure that you you get really previews on screen of what you're going to be printing. Uh, we, we did a complete overhaul of our typography engine so that you can use advanced open type uh, functionality. And with the latest version, we continue to enhance that to make it even better with, with advanced typography functions. A lot of graphic, graphic designers and, and graphics are done with fonts, so we want to sh- support the latest and greatest in the open type functionality. Uh, we did uh, also uh, develop a very advanced and robust uh, style engine, both for objects and for colors, so that you can really define everything as a style, just like you would do in a word, for example, where you define a style for the title, and then if suddenly you realize you want to change the font and the color of the title, you press one button and it changes everywhere. Well, it happens so often when, uh, when you work on a concept and suddenly at the very end, either you realize or your customer tells you, actually, that's not the right color I wanted to use, being able to change that very quickly is, is a big, big difference. I think that that is one of the key things for Corel is around productivity and how do we enable our users to be as productive as possible with, with the product. I think one of the uh, the new things with this version is a subscription plan, which is somewhat similar to Adobe's Creative Cloud, but unlike Adobe, you're still offering perpetual licenses. So tell me how that works. And as I understand it, Premium is the name of the subscription plan uh, for Corel. So just give me a little background on how that all works. We strongly believe in offering our users the choice for them to purchase the software the way they want it. Uh, we know that a certain percentage of the users are interested in, quote-unquote, renting their software and having a subscription. And we do offer them what we call a CorelDRAW subscription, so they can rent the software for either a month or a year. Uh, it's at uh, 24.95 for a month or the equivalent of 16.50 for the year uh, if you sign up for the year. Uh, but we also know from research and from also all the, the interesting comments we've seen when, when Adobe announced their switch to Creative Cloud that a certain percentage of the users do not want to rent the software. They want to own it on a perpetual basis. And this is why we're offering a happy medium in between owning a perpetual and going to a rental model. We, we call it a premium membership. So for anybody who has purchased a perpetual version of CorelDRAW, a box or a download version, they can sign up for what we call the, the premium membership for $99 a year. Uh, and that part of that, they get not only access to everything that I mentioned, part of the standard membership, but they also get access to early access to new features that we will only release to everybody else with the the next version, so X8, for example. Uh, And on top of that, once the new version comes out, if you have an active premium membership, we'll get you a a new version, the latest version at that point, uh, on a perpetual basis as well because it's what you chose to be on a perpetual plan. So so I would say almost best of both worlds. Our upgrade is at uh, $199. So when we usually release a new version every two years. Uh, So uh, this is a a $99 a year uh, value proposition. So it's about the same price as if you were to upgrade to the next version. 
but you get all the extra benefits on top, exclusive content immediately available, uh, early access to new features, and a lot more are part of that offering. For, uh, for those who would want to upgrade from, uh, from an earlier version, uh, how are you handling that? We have uh, different options. Uh, for anybody who is on, a, on up to three versions back of CorelDRAW, so version X4, X5, or X6, uh, they can uh, purchase uh, an upgrade uh, from a perpetual perspective uh, to CorelDRAW Graphics Suite X7 for $199 US. Uh, and uh, so that's uh, the full product on a perpetual basis. That's uh, three versions back or six year older than six year old. Um, then uh, either they can go with a, a full version of CorelDRAW Graphics Suite if they want to go perpetual. Uh, or they can go with uh, the subscription option at this stage. Do you have any particular limitations on the number of computers that a single user can install the suite on? Uh, f- for example, you know, someone might have a desktop, uh, a notebook, and a, a, and a tablet, so th- you know, three machines. As a general rule, our softwares are licensed for, uh, for the user, and uh, the user can install it on up to three devices that, that he owns and uses. Uh, as long as the software is not used simultaneously on the three machines, laptop, uh, desktop, and tablet, for example, uh, as long as you don't use it simultaneously, you can really have it installed on three machines. X7 is available for both 32 and 64-bit systems. Uh, if yeah, there's a reason to install both, can can you do that? What I'm thinking about here are situations maybe in which the user would want to use the power of the 64-bit application uh, most of the time, but possibly has some older plugins that run only in a 32-bit environment. So do you, do you have to install just one or the other, or, or can they coexist? They can absolutely coexist. That is exactly the scenario that we've designed it for. Coexistence is to be able to run, uh, uh, if you have some older Photoshop plugins or things like that, uh, 32-bit, uh, they won't run a 64-bit version of Photo Paint, for example. So you can install both 32- and 64-bit versions uh, simultaneously. And uh, along that same line, uh, with uh, speaking of plugins, compatibility with existing Photoshop plugins? Absolutely. That was a, a big focus for us uh, over the last, uh, with X6 especially, and throughout the cycle of X6. But we're very compatible with, uh, with all the latest generation of Photoshop plugins. So uh, I know we're in regular discussions with companies such as uh, Alienskin uh, and, uh, for, uh, for their plugins and others, uh, our own are tested as well, so, so there will be no problem at all uh, to make uh, the vast, vast majority of the plugins will work great. You have a, a new feature in this version called Font Playground, which is, is intriguing to me uh, simply because it, it seems to simplify in many ways uh, a, a designer's task if you're looking at multiple typefaces. This is really one of those many things that we're doing in, in CorelDRAW Graphics Suite to, to help our users be be more creative but more productive at the same time. Uh, this font playground is really, uh, we call it the right to play with fonts. It gives you really an, an opportunity to experiment and try things out without risking to impact your design. So, so you have this docker on the side. We call it dockers, the little the palettes that are docked on the side. And there uh, you can really just start typing some text, trying out things, trying fonts, trying stylistic sets on the fonts and advanced open type functionality. And once you're happy and you found exactly what you want, you just copy that, paste in your document, you're good to go. So it gives you this experimentation place where you can rediscover and try new things without any risk of impacting your existing design, but at the same time keeping your design next to it so you have context on what you're trying out. The interface has been changed so that it's a much cleaner look. It uh, actually looks 
uh, like it looks right at home in uh, a Windows 8 environment. Uh, are you getting any kind of uh, feedback on that? There's really two groups of, of feedback. Uh, overall, the very positive feedback um, and, uh, and the cleanness and the, the refresh look. We actually did a lot more, and it's not that visible on the UI when you, when you look at it very closely, but we, we really took the time to, to combine to one common framework for all our, our, our interface. Uh, historically, you build a product over years, and then there's multiple ways of doing things. So it really went to a much unified look and feel, and it feels much more unified. And the cleanness is really intended to take the UI away from your design and enable you to focus more on the design. A lot of people now have multiple monitors since monitors are becoming uh, much less expensive. And I noticed that you've provided the ability to support multiple monitors. That's, that's been a very, very positive feedback. I think overall, and this is one of the things we did part of this UI refresh that we, we, we did in X7, was really to enable our users to not only support multiple monitors and very quickly drag and drop things on other monitors and work however they want to. Uh, as you mentioned, a monitor these days, it's very easy to just add a second monitor for what, $200, $300 or $600, $700 for a, a highly calibrated monitor. And then you really have a fantastic environment. You really uh, experience a lot more space. But, but more importantly than that, you'll also see, and this is more important when we look forward, with the latest generation of laptops and the latest generation of, latest generation of monitors, it's really support for high DPI monitors as well. So we not only support multi-monitor, but we're also ready for the next generation of devices when you have these high DPI, these 4K laptops that are coming out right now. Well, CorelDRAW is already there for that. So the feedback on just multi-monitor has been excellent. But as soon as these devices start being available to the public, there will be even more positive feedback, I'm certain, because hey, the software will just work great on, la- on high DPI monitors. Now, this is probably one of the most minor features there, but it's, it's kind of intriguing to me. Draw has had the ability to make barcodes for a long time, but uh, this time around you've added uh, the ability to do QR codes. And even people who have no idea what a QR code is have undoubtedly seen those codes. Tell me what they are and explain why they're important to somebody. So QR codes is, is another form of a barcode, if you want. Uh, they're usually, there are a square shape, uh, uh, barcodes with a lot of little squares inside, usually black and white, and it's very dull to look at on a, you see them on packaging. They're used a lot because with, uh, smartphone, with, uh, with modern smartphones, you can just take a picture of your camera and it will get you that information over. So it's getting more and more popular for that. But what we did is really take that to the next concept because it's a graphics package uh, and enables you to create some really impressive graphics with CorelDRAW. So we also wanted you to be able to be very expressive and creative when it comes to QR codes. So we've gone with QR codes and went to the next level and enabled you to really create highly visual and graphical QR codes, starting to work with fill, starting to put effects, transparency, and things like many effects on top and start laying objects, etc. So I have full control and creativity there. But what's important then at that point, and what I was the big challenge with QR codes, is that every device out there uh, supports QR codes in a very different way. And that's why we've developed actually not only the QR code generator, but we also developed a web service that is integrating CorelDRAW that is a QR code validator. So you can just, when, once you've created your barcode and prepared it and pr- changed the graphics, the look and feel, etc., you can just use our validator that is built in 
Just drag and drop around it and wait a few seconds and go to a Corel server. For you, we'll validate you and tell you this is a readable barcode or this is not. If it's readable, we'll tell you what we've been able to read. And if it's not, well, at least you'll know before you go to print and have printed these thousand flyers that that barcode was no use. Uh, and helps you change before you go and have that expense. So the options that Corel offers are a full rental program for $25 a month if you rent on a monthly basis, or about $17 a month if you pay once annually. There's the standard perpetual license, purchase in a box or a download. The price varies depending on whether it's an upgrade from a previous version or a new license. Upgrades are usually $200, and a full new license is $500. Perpetual license with extra benefits, that premium we talked about, that's an extra $99 a year. It's in addition to the regular software fee, but users have access to all the new features as well as additional typefaces and clip art. I wanted to show you on the website how CorelDRAW X7 works, so I had an idea for a fictional business called Kitty Companions. Here's how it went. I started by defining an intended size for the website ad, 1000 by 800 pixels, and I picked the color space, which would be RGB, that's what you use on the web. The suggested rendering resolution is 96 pixels per inch. I usually change that to 100 simply because it makes any math that might be involved quite a bit easier. And it really doesn't make any difference on the web. A pixel is a pixel is a pixel. My first stop was the font playground. Initially, you'll see some standard lorem ipsum text and three typefaces. I changed the text so that it read Kitty Companions and added a dozen or so typefaces for the comparison. You'll see only four on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I did that just to conserve some space. The user can control the size of the sample text, and when the comparison is complete, just drag the winning typeface onto the design. One image I thought about using was big old orange Percy. The image was created with a point-and-shoot camera, but it is one that creates raw images. CR2 is a Canon RAW format. Corel Photo Paint can open raw images and gives the user some options regarding color and exposure. The interface has considerably fewer controls than what you'll find on Adobe Camera RAW, but the basics are there. After making initial modifications, I placed the image in CorelDRAW, but then decided that more work was needed. Right-clicking an embedded bitmap image reveals a context menu that allows the image to be edited in PhotoPaint and then returned to Draw. In PhotoPaint, I desaturated the background, and when I was ready to return the modified image to Draw, just clicked Finish Editing. Eventually, though, I decided that image wasn't the one I really wanted to use. I needed another image because this image was just too rectangular. And the ad's a rectangle. I just didn't want a rectangle in a rectangle. We'll come back to that in just a moment. I had a bitmap image of a cat paw that I wanted to use. The image had a white background, though, and I wanted to eliminate that white background. I wanted wherever there was white to be transparent. Corel's applications have had a trace function for a long time and I wanted to see the current version in operation. Initially, I tried a line art setting with relatively low smoothing. The result was a fairly jagged interpretation of the bitmap. You'll see that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Next, I changed the trace type to logo and increased the smoothing. So that the background would be dropped out, I checked the Remove Background box. The resulting trace was perfectly smooth, and the white background had disappeared. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see a checkerboard pattern, 
that's an indication for almost every graphics program that that's where the transparency is. There's really not a checkerboard pattern back there. After placing the paw print and coloring it with a beige shade that was present in the cat picture I'd selected, I placed text so that it extended onto the paw print and placed everything in the lower right-hand corner. Now, about the cat image. I looked through the clip art images provided with the CorelDRAW X7 package and found a picture of a gray kitten on a white background. Perfect. Snap ITC was the typeface I had selected in the font playground, and I decided that adding an extrusion effect might be useful. Extrusion is one of the interactive effects. I pulled the extrusion back and slightly to the left. After tinkering with it for a while, I settled on just pulling it straight back from the center so that the extrusion itself would remain relatively low. But you'll see on the TechBinder Worldwide website that it's hard to read. In fact, it's impossible to read that way. Creating a readable extrusion involves several steps. So I started by adding a thin white outline to all of the letters and then selecting a color from the kitten's nose to shade the text. Then I broke the extrusion apart so that I had a text layer in front. The extrusion behind the layer consists of 98 individual components. The result, after I used a darker shade of the same color used for the extrusion for the typeface, and after applying a thicker, light-colored outline to the typeface, is perfectly readable. The final steps involve placing and sizing the image of the kitten, overlaying the headline, placing the body text, and adding the contact phone number. The entire process consumed several days, but most of the time was spent identifying the typefaces and images that I wanted to use and writing the body copy. This is true if you're doing any kind of advertising work. Most of the work is in the planning. Once I had all of that done, creating the logo in the lower right, the headline, and the ad took no more than about 30 minutes. And you'll see the result on the TechBiter Worldwide website. The bottom line for CorelDRAW X7, five cats. CorelDRAW X7 is everything you remember and lots of new features you want. It's no secret that I've always been a fan of CorelDRAW, starting the first time I saw it around 1990. The application went through some less than stellar versions, but X7 still has what the developers used to call a sparse tool set. That means it's easy to understand. The additional capabilities that Corel has built in from version X4 through X7 are welcome additions, as are options for either purchasing or renting the application. You'll find additional details on the Corel website. There's a link to it from the TechBiter Worldwide website. And we have a winner of the Corel Graphics X7 contest. For the past several weeks, I've been encouraging you to send in an email for the Corel Graphics Suite giveaway. The deadline for entering was last Sunday, May 18th, and now we have a winner. Here's how the winner was selected. I started by extracting all of the email addresses and making a list. I didn't check it twice because I'm not Santa Claus, despite certain physical similarities. I then used the application to delete any multiple entries. It seems that most people entered just once. And then I got technical. Each entry had a position that was essentially assigned at random in the list. The next step involved running a random number generator to create a single number within the range of entries. That random number generated by Microsoft Excel was 9. And the entry at position 9 belongs to Ross Ferguson in New Zealand. 
Congratulations, Ross. I'll provide your contact information to my contact at Corral's Public Relations Department. You should hear from her soon. At a news conference in New York this week, Microsoft introduced what looks like an iPad killer. The Surface Pro 3 has a larger screen than the previous version, and its aspect ratio, 4x3 instead of 16x9, is more like a piece of paper than a widescreen TV. That's important for several reasons, and square inches of screen real estate is only one of them. Panos Pane, corporate vice president of Microsoft's Surface division, reminded us that technology needs to feel familiar, and one of the cooler new features turns the tablet into a notepad that works with OneNote. You're wondering why I think that's cool. After all, you're thinking to use a tablet as a notepad, you have to turn it on. That's hardly familiar, is it? What's cool, though, is you don't have to turn it on. Just pick up the pen. The pen, by the way, is the size and weight of a pen, not a stylus. When you click the pen to expose the writing point, the Surface 3 turns on. Write or draw. When you're finished, click the pen again to retract the writing point. Then the magic happens. Your notes will be synchronized to your copy of OneNote on OneDrive, and the tablet turns off. That's a lot like a sheet of paper, only better. The overall objective that the Surface 3 design team tried to meet was development of a single device that could be used as a tablet, a notebook, or a desktop. And overall, it would seem that they've done a pretty darn good job. Lots of additional new features further raise the bar and lower the thickness and weight of the device. The Surface Pro 3 is available with Intel i3, i5, or i7 processors starting at $800. The $800 unit is just a core i3 processor with 64 gigabytes of RAM on a solid-state drive and 4 gigabytes of RAM, somewhat underpowered. At the high end, there's the $1,950 version with a Core i7 processor, a 512GB solid-state drive, and 8GB of RAM. The type cover that adds a portable keyboard sells for $130, and a docking station adds $200. There's also an Ethernet adapter for $40. You'll see some pictures on the TechBiter Worldwide website, almost full-size, of the Surface Three. Adobe's Michael Goff was on stage two, and he demonstrated using the tablet to edit an image in Photoshop. Yes, he edited an image in Photoshop on a tablet. Can you really replace a desktop system with a tablet? Goff seemed to think you can. So i got to start by telling you, the first time I got my hands on this thing, I was blown away. If you take the power of Photoshop and you put it on a device like this, it's a creative's dream come true. This is everything, all I need, right here. You know, it's a really great time to be a creative. Technology is bringing more mobility, more natural interaction, and more expressiveness to all our tools. Our customers already love Surface Pro, but they told us they wanted Photoshop to take better advantage of the screen, the pen, and the touch. Today I'm going to show you one example. So this is a sneak peek of Photoshop CC optimized for touch on Surface Pro 3. 
A docking station allows the tablet to work like a desktop computer, complete with a full-size keyboard and a mouse, but you can still reach up and touch the screen. Now, this is something I frequently do when I'm using a notebook computer, and I'm always frustrated when the screen doesn't react. The pen works even when the tablet is docked. Pen A characterizes the Surface 3 as the tablet that can replace your laptop because it has the power of an Intel Core processor while being just a third of an inch thick and having a 12-inch screen weighing less than 2 pounds. Pen A addressed the importance of making technology feel familiar, which is one of the primary reasons for the form factor, more like a sheet of paper, and a writing implement that has the size and weight of a real pen. When you're designing a product, you have to design something that feels unbelievable familiar. It has to feel familiar to people. We don't talk about design a lot, and I've gotten into a lot of tech stuff. And I understand that. But hold on, pull back for just a minute. Pull back. You have to know what you're trying to accomplish. And sometimes you start with specs, and many times you start with customers, and a lot of times you just have goals for your products. But in this product, to really bring it to life, we wanted to do something to make sure it was clear and build something. It was just even more than that, that it was just familiar. And really, what is more familiar than a piece of paper? You've been using it your whole life. Your children, if you have any, they use them today. You send them to school with three ring binders, there is no doubt. You've had those spiral notebooks. Do you remember those when you were kids? You had those. It's super familiar. It looks a lot like a three-by-two aspect ratio, as it turns out. It looks a lot like this device. And the chemistry between the size of a piece of paper and a device like this, that's not an accident. That's a design point. And it's a critical one for this device. It's what makes it familiar. It's what then makes it seamless. One feature that's still missing on all Windows-based tablets is a glide option for the on-screen keyboard. The superb SwiftKey app available for Android devices and Apple devices, but not Windows tablets. There are times when you don't want to attach a keyboard and when you don't want to use a pen, but you just want to be able to type on the screen's keyboard. An app called TouchPal is available for Windows tablets, but it doesn't work well enough to be usable. Where SwiftKey on an Android tablet routinely guesses the correct word, TouchPal rarely manages to come even close. This is a shortcoming that Microsoft needs to address, either by inventing its own Glide app or by paying the developers of SwiftKey to port their astoundingly good app to Windows. The sales for the Surface have been somewhat unimpressive at best, even though reviews have generally been positive. After this week, I would expect to see a lot more positive reviews. I'm not in the market for a Windows tablet computer myself right now because the Iconia I have is only about two years old, and I'm certainly not in the market for a Windows notebook because the Lenovo is even newer. But I do know that if I was in the market for either right now, I would give very serious consideration to the Surface 3. In short circuits, consider this the understatement of the year. Cybercrime is an enormous problem. Speaking to the Senate Judiciary Committee last week, FBI Director James Comey said that law enforcement agencies face an enormous challenge in preventing state-sponsored cybercrimes. Comey's appearance before senators occurred shortly after the FBI filed charges against five 
Chinese military officials in connection with industrial espionage. Comey divides large U.S. companies into two groups, those that have been infiltrated by the Chinese hackers and those who don't yet know that they have been infiltrated by Chinese hackers. Chinese officials, of course, deny allegations and dispute the 31-count indictment. The Chinese military hackers are accused of pilfering information from steelmakers and from companies that manufacture solar and nuclear devices. eBay says that hackers broke into its systems and gained access to personal information for about 145 million customers. Consider that number. 145 million. The population of the United States is 319 million people. So that single breach affects approximately half the population of the country. eBay says the hackers gained access to names, email addresses, birth dates, encrypted passwords, physical addresses, and phone numbers. The company says financial records were not at risk. And although the passwords were encrypted, there are ways to essentially reverse the process. It takes some time, and it's a complex process, but it can be done. So it's best to assume that your password, if you have an eBay account, has been compromised. PayPal is owned by eBay, but the attack apparently didn't involve PayPal. Still, the prudent user might consider changing the password there, too. What's more distressing than the fact that thieves have obtained enough information to steal users' identity is the fact that the break-in occurred in February, and eBay didn't figure it out until earlier this month, and didn't announce it publicly until this week. The online backup service I use, Carbonite, displays markers in the system's file explorer to show whether a file has been backed up or is waiting to be backed up. I noticed that the icon overlays had disappeared a few weeks ago, so I sent an email that described the problem to Carbonite support. In response, Carbonite suggested a call. The Tier 1 technician I spoke with connected to the computer and checked out the system's antivirus application and firewall. Didn't find anything wrong. Then he referred me to Tier 2 support. Because Tier 2 support had a 20-minute wait at the time, I opted to just call back later. I wasn't able to make that call for nearly two weeks, and Carbonite's automated system occasionally sent reminders that there was still an outstanding issue that needed to be resolved. On Sunday morning, I called and was immediately passed to a Level 2 technician, Allegra, who investigated. The problem turned out to be too many entries in the Shell Icon Overlay Identifiers Registry Key. Carbonite technicians are not permitted to edit a customer's registry, but the information provided was sufficient for me to identify unneeded markers from Microsoft's OneDrive, or SkyDrive, and from Virtual Clone Drive. After backing up the full registry key, I deleted the unnecessary entries and rebooted the computer. Carbonite's disclosure dots are back. The backup itself had been working properly. That's easily confirmed by viewing files that are shown on the Carbonite backup drive. Only the display was inaccurate, so this was a minor problem. Even so, Carbonite's tech support department took it seriously 
and Allegra even sent a follow-up email with some additional information. Sometimes I talk about support when it's substandard, so I really feel obligated to talk about support when a technician not only does what's supposed to be done, but goes far beyond what's expected. So you can understand why I continue to use the Carbonite backup service and to recommend it. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.